0: This is Chichester Cinefile, the podcast for Chichester Cinema at New Park in Chichester, West Sussex. Find us at chichestercinema.org. Welcome to episode 8 of the Chichester Cinefile podcast for Chichester Cinema at New Park. While the cinema has been closed, we've been doing our version of the cine circle and providing streaming recommendations to try to fill the gap. Now we're delighted to have a programme of films to preview, and we also have some interesting other features for you as well. We'll be getting a rundown of exactly what going to the cinema will entail from Walter, the cinema director and programmer, And then we'll be previewing some of the films planned for October at the new park. We'll be talking to cinema president, Roger Gibson, about his visit to the Venice Film Festival. And we will finish with part two of our look at The Gumshoe, The Private Eye, in cinema. So there's no mini cine circle this time, but as it seems to be quite a popular part of the podcast... We're considering bringing it back for the next edition in November. If you have any thoughts about this, please email us via walter at chichestercinema.org and uh, let us know what you think. Here's the team for this episode.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Carol Godsmark and
2: I'm part of Chichester Cinema UPA. Hi, I'm Patrick Hargood and I'm Deputy Education Officer at the cinema.
0: And I'm Sandy, a regular member of the audience at Chichester Cinema. After this, we will hear from Walter.
3: Go ahead. Make my day.
0: I'm actually back in the cinema, which is quite a remarkable thing. And I'm with uh, Walter Francisco, who is cinema director and programmer. And he's going to tell us what sort of experience people are going to have when they come back to the cinema. So what's it going to be like, Walter?
4: First of all, welcome, Sandy, to our cinema. It's nice to have people, nice to have smiling faces in the building again. Well, hopefully it's going to be a joyous occasion, you know, bringing a bit of that magic back to Chichester, to our patrons, and most importantly, a safe trip to the cinema. We've implemented a whole range of guidelines, and these are both from the UK Cinema Association and from the Community Centre Association, because we have to look at both of those. So things like we've spaced out the auditorium so everybody's at least one metre apart. You can have a look online and see the new, the new spacing. We have only bookings in advance. Everybody has to wear a face masks. There are hand sanitising. When you come in, we've got one of those temperature checkers. We've reduced the number of screenings so we can have more time in between films so that we can clean the auditorium better in between. Also, we, we've put screens all around, there's a one-way system. So there's so many changes, but they're, they're all done in a way, so it, it'll, it'll still be a nice, easy, smooth ride around the cinema. You'll enter through the, the box office foyer, there's only one entrance now, you go in through the hallway, straight into the auditorium, and then you come out through the normal exit door. So it'll be a well, just that typical one-way system. The films will start exactly at the specified time, as in we'll have trailers, we won't have any ads. So if a film starts at three, we'll have the trailers starting at three o'clock and 10 minutes of trailers, and the film will start at about 10 past three. So we'll open the doors 15 minutes before the three o'clock time, and we'll close the doors just after the three o'clock time. And that's the community centre guidelines where they have to keep all the different groups in their own bubbles. So we have our slot to come in, and then let's say the yoga students have their slot to come in after us and the painters their slot afterwards. We have to be separated.
0: So no latecomers?
4: No latecomers. So if the film says it starts at three, the doors will close at about five past three. Once the film started, the outside doors will be closed by the centre and we are not allowed to let in latecomers. So, no latecomers.
0: <laughs> and no food and drink gather.
4: That is still up in the air. So it's the New Park Community and Arts Association who run the bar. At one stage, the, the bar will be closed, and then the bar was going to be open, and right now, the bar will be open. But maybe not open like we know it. It might be just a couple of tables with, you know, waters and Kit Kats and things like that. Other chocolates are available. <laughs> Yeah, so there'll be waters and Kit cats and Fantas and things like that. No alcohol. And so something just pick up quick, pay for, nice and easy and in. Once you're inside, obviously you've got a mask on. You have to wear a mask on throughout the film. But obviously if you're eating or drinking, take the mask off, have your food, have your drink, put the mask back on. Just to
0: remind people the reopening date is...
4: Exciting. 16th of October. Finally we have a date.
0: And the film will be...
4: The first film is Misbehaviour. And we have the mayor here from Chichester, Richard Plowman... Well, hopefully we'll find these giant scissors and a giant red ribbon so we can cut through. <laughs>
0: Great. Thank you very much, Walter.
4: Thank you, Sandy. That was Walter
0: Francisco. In a moment, Carol will introduce the first film.
1: Tell me, do you have a name? Misbehaviour, first film back at the cinema starts its run on the 16th of October, stars Kira Knightley and Jesse Buckley as feminist protesters who disrupt the 1970 Miss World contest, which erupts in controversy, winding up with host Bob Hope, played by Greg Kinnear, covered in flour, the BBC covered in embarrassment and the fledgling women's liberation movement covered in glory. The British brand name success story was founded by raffish London businessman Eric Morley and his wife Julia, played by Rhys Evans and Keeley Halls. It also stars Leslie Manville. It's a hoot. Do go and see it.
0: And here's a clip from Misbehaviour.
1: They're turning oppression into spectacle. Let's make a spectacle of our own. We'd infiltrate the theatre. Just been smoking and watching like in a heist film. If I win, there will be little girls
0: who might start to believe they have a place in the world. We're black. We're not going to be Miss
1: World. You don't owe me. It's not you we're angry at. I look forward to having your choices in life. But it's all just flashbulbs in your face. Not so many flashbulbs for me.
0: Probably the biggest blockbuster this year so far is Tenet. It was held up because of the virus, but is now out and seems to be dividing audiences. It's the latest from Christopher Nolan, the director of Dunkirk, Interstellar, Inception and Memento. In his latest film as writer and director, he's playing with time, with the action going backwards and forwards. Even the title, Tenet, is a palindrome. At its most basic, it's a spy thriller, but as you can tell, there's a whole lot more to it than that. While many have loved it, the major criticisms appear to have centred around not understanding what was going on and finding the dialogue hard to follow. Some have said that you need several viewings to get it, and there are quite a few showings at the cinema so you can do just that. Here's part of the trailer.
1: I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, might just bring me in. You
2: really want to know? He can communicate with the future.
3: Time travel? No. Inversion.
1: Name it and pull the trigger. (laughs) You're shooting the bullet. You're catching it.
0: Whoa. Well, I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. That was Tenet. Patrick's next.
2: was the title music for the oscar-winning korean film parasite composed by jael jung which begins with a shot looking from the murky windows of the basement flat where the kim family live as traffic rolls past the film tells the story of how they escape from this dungeon to the glorious affluence of a luxury architect designed home with a vast picture window it's funny gruesome and shocking essential viewing if you missed it just before lockdown and well worth a second look if you did catch it and if you're going for a second time you may may care to catch one of the special screenings in black and white director Bong Joon-ho is a big fan of black and white movies and he personally supervised the transfer from colour.
0: Can you think of any other films that are in black and white or colour options without the colourised ones of the past few years but are designed to be that way?
2: Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, right. Was one, but it was, um, it was never released in the cinema in black and white. It was only, it was a special DVD edition. I haven't actually, I've seen the original version in colour. I haven't actually seen the black and white version,
1: but uh, I may well check that out.
0: Yeah, interesting concept. Carol, you're up next.
1: The Truth. There are two screenings of The Truth. One on the 30th of October and the second one on the 2nd of November. It's about a legendary movie star played by Catherine Deneuve who has written a dubious memoir which outrages her daughter, played by Juliette Binoche, in Hirokazu's Korieda stylish, seductive family drama. This is the first non-Japanese language film from the director and writer who won the Palme d'Or at Cannes in 2018 for his film Shoplifters. And he's come to France for a very elegant family drama set in Paris. He explores his favorite themes of responsibility, legacy, and the fluidity of roles between parents and children.
0: And here is a short clip from the trailer for The Truth.
1: I don't remember. You were just a baby. And you, daddy?
3: No, I've never been here before.
1: The house looked like a castle.
2: Yes, even though there is a prison
1: just behind it. You have visit.
0: you. wanted to make her jealous, show her a happy family, but that's not going to make her jealous. Okay. <laughs> and now a relatively local film. Seaford in East Sussex is the setting for Hope Gap, and I'm reliably informed that star Bill Nye was predictably delightful with selfie hunters during the filming. He stars with Annette Benning, who just seems to get better and better. They've been married a long time, but the Bill Nye character announces he's leaving the marriage. Josh O'Connor, who was in the wonderful Only You in 2018, is their son. It's based on a 1999 play by William Nicholson. The Retreat from Moscow. And Nicholson himself directs this. His screenwriting credits include uh, work on Gladiator, Les Miserables, the musical one, and Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. Hope Gap itself, by the way, is just near Cookmere Haven. In this scene, the three main characters visit a solicitor.
1: So this settlement you and Edward have come up with, do I get more than I'd get if he died? If he died? Yes. Well,
0: No. As things stand, if your husband died you'd get the house, your joint savings, and a full widow's pension.
1: And if we get a divorce, I get less? Yes. So it would be better for me if you were dead. But I'm not. It would be better in every way. If I have to manage without you, I'd... I'd rather be a widow. A widow has so much more status than a left woman. I could put flowers on your grave and remember all the good times we had.
2: Ammonite is yet another film shot on the south coast of England. This one was actually filmed in Lyme Regis. And Francis Lee, the director, his first film, God's Own Country, was a romantic drama about the intense relationship that develops between a young Yorkshire farmer and a Romanian immigrant who comes to work on the farm. And it was warmly received by critics, several of whom compared it to Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain. His latest film, Ammonite, and Ammonite, by the way, is a prehistoric cephalopod. This film's receiving a special preview screening at Chichester Cinema this month, ahead of a wider release next year. And it's also about a same-sex relationship between two people of very different backgrounds. But this time, the characters are based on real people. The Victorian paleontologists Mary Anning, played by Kate Winslet, and Charlotte Murchison, played by Saoirse Ronan. And here's a clip from the trailer. It's not easy work.
4: What is it? Something? Nothing?
1: There is a little laminite inside. Something tells me it'll be crushed. That one was special.
2: Both the theme and the coastal setting invite a comparison with last year's French hit, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And Lime Regis looks fantastic in the film.
0: I think God's Own Country starred Josh O'Connor that I was just talking about in Hope Gap as well.
2: Uh, yeah. Of course, yes. I should have said that, shouldn't I? Yeah. He, he's I'd forgotten good. he was in Hope Gap. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Yeah, he was he was very good. I obviously I haven't seen Hope Gap, but he was very good in God's Own Country. In fact, I thought the have you seen God's Own Country?
1: I saw it at the Edinburgh Film Festival with the director.
2: Oh, right. What did you think, Carol?
1: I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. But it was in one of those um, old, huge cinemas with the flap up seats. Mm-hmm. And because of the nature of God's Own Country storyline, i.e. homosexual love, you could hear the seats going up as people left. Oh it was so God. funny. You know, so really? Clack, 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 as people left. It? <laughs> seriously in 2017
2: people would walk out because of gay love scenes I
1: don't well, uh, it was kind of explicit
0: we have just discussed misbehavior tenet parasite the truth hope gap and ammonite full screening details are on the website of course at www.chichestercinema.org And in a few seconds, I'll be talking to Roger Gibson about the Venice Film Festival, 2020. They
1: call me Mr. Tibbs.
0: I'm with Roger Gibson, who is the president of Chichester Cinema at New Park, but you also have some other roles.
3: Yes, uh, I'm the artistic consultant generally for the, for the programming. I do some of the programming. Walter does most of it, in fact. But I'm involved with doing a uh, uh, programme for the performance and special events. And also the most probably biggest thing now is the is, uh, uh, artistic director of the, of the film festival, which we had to cancel this year, which would have been tw- 28, I think, or 29.
0: But talking of festivals, yeah. you go to a lot of other festivals and you're just back from Venice. yes. That must have been very different this year.
3: It was. First of all, it seemed like being on another planet compared with with here, in a way. It was very relaxed, uh, although very strict. Everybody had to wear masks virtually everywhere. But yes, I mean, I've been going for the last four or five years. And although, in fact, uh, what I really think was terrific was the, the courage of Venice to do this, because, you know, Cannes was cancelled... These awful online festivals, which I just don't like. Carla Vivari was, was, was cancelled. I booked for all of those. I got everything back. So I thought that was fantastic. Even up to before I was going, I wondered, will I be able to get there? Will they stop me? You know, Is there going to be some problem? But no, it went very, very well indeed. In terms of the festival itself, the director uh, said that uh, there would be fewer films than normal. not that many, in fact, because there were over 90 over ninety, wow. yes, ninety films. There were eleven auditoriums, and there were some outside. And last year, of course, they had Joker, of course, what won it. So there were big films like that, and Polanski's Le you know, which I've seen, which nobody uh, outside Italy and France has been able to see. I've been trying to get see whether they're going to, you know, have it uh, over here. So, so there were some bigger blockbusters last year, uh, which they 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 couldn't have. Partly because they weren't available, you know, as, as much as anything. So the, there was a jury, Cate Blanchett, Mac Dillon, I didn't see any of these, and Joanna Hogg, the British director. I, I didn't see any of them. And they had red, I mean, they had red carpet stuff there. They, there were various sections. And the main one was the competition section, which one was 18 films, and there was an outer competition section of 21 films plus shorts. And then there was a thing called the Horizonti. I don't know whether it's the name of a person because it, it doesn't explain it in the catalogue. A huge catalogue, you know and amazing you know they came up with some good films going on to that uk films some of them were in competition. The Duke was a film which was originally going to come out. We were going to be showing it actually in November, I think. This is a film with Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren. This is about the characters in the '60s who stole the Duke of Wellington painting by Goya and then used that as a kind of almost blackmail to get various things, all for good causes. So it's it's you know it'll do, it'll do very 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 well, I think. There was Final Account, which is a documentary made by Luke Holland. And it was interviewing Nazis. It was mainly about them joining the Hitler Youth. So it was quite an interesting you know, side of, of listening to those that are quite happy to talk about it and quite happy to be a Nazi and so, so forth, so it was quite interesting. And then there was a film called Nowhere Special, Umberto Pasolini. It was with James Norton. It's actually an Irish film, although it's down as an Italian-Romanian-UK production, but it was set in Ireland, in fact. And I think it's a, it's a true story about a father, James Norton, who's having a terminal disease and he's got a four-year-old son and the film's about him looking for parents to take his son. It's very moving, actually, very, very good. The Duke, and the, well, it's already been distributed, and I'm sure that will be as well. I should say, by the way, there were more Italian films than anything else. Not surprising, really. Nothing that outstanding except a documentary, which I like very much. It's American films. It as One Night in Miami, Regina King. They mentioned in the introduction by the director, Alberto Barbera, that, the, that over half of the competition films were directed by women. I don't really remember, but last year they were criticised very much for not having women directed, or many under two films, I, th- I think it was. Uh, that's an interesting film about uh, Cassius Clay, and uh, I'm trying to remember other people. or oh, of course, Martin, not Martin, um, the Black Panther. Malcolm X. Malcolm X, and Sam Cooke, and somebody else, a sportsman and they, one night in Miami they, 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 it was based on a play but it was presumably it was a discussion that was recorded in some way and it was all about him trying to persuade particularly Sam Cooke to sing not exactly protest songs but not the swooning you know stuff but to you know this would be a great thing if you could you know jo- join the court anyway it was it was, a, it was fascinating although it was I say it was very dialogue ridden it, um, it was Was re- it very play-like? Yes well it was nearly all in one room so you know there were all to begin with, it wasn't, but basically, it was. It, you could see, in a way, that it was based on a play. But it was you never know, was, was a fascinating thing. American films. Well, I just mentioned that one night in Miami, and and the one that won the, the award. Fortunately, I saw. I I don't know. I mentioned I saw five or six films a day. Going from, I tried to not book anything before nine, but I did. In some cases, but it was eleven o'clock on the last in the morning, and the last film at night was usually at ten ten thirty. So I came out about twelve thirty, one o'clock. So I saw over 50 films. And Nomad Land was the um, one of the last films I saw as it happened. So one of the things you, that they do at the end is that they repeat the, the golden lion and so, and so forth. Nomadland was the winner with Francis McDormand. It was, it was a lovely film. It reminded me a little bit, it was sort of a little bit of a road movie, of the film with Bruce Dern, um, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. yeah, is that kind of Feel you're sort of meeting different people, and so although these were not family and so forth, uh, quite the opposite. That's already going to be released in the UK. Am
0: I right in thinking this is about the sort of retired people who get motor yes. homes and then That's go
3: right. on the road? That's right. Yes, and so he, he moved, she moves about in different places permanently. Permanently, yes, and cleaning and getting jobs in various places just to keep herself. So our audience will like that, I think. That, and that was directed by a woman as well, by the way. Chloe Zeo, I know that's how you pronounce her name. The documentary, every document I, I saw, I liked. Uh, I've already mentioned Final Account. There was a fascinating documentary about the making of La Dolce Vita. It was more to do with the producer, and to shame, I can't remember the name of the producer, but he was really very important, in. and I didn't know very much about that. And the, way, the difficulty of that film being made, and the way in which the budget went from whatever it was, it went four times to the amount, and nobody wanted to, a four-hour film, you know, nobody you know, said, and then, you know, we, we need some American stars in it. So that, anyway, it was, as you know, it was made, and of course it didn't make history, but it was a fascinating documentary. Then there was a, I wouldn't believe that, uh, there was a documentary called Hopper Wells, when Orson was making The Other Side of the of the Wind, Dennis Hopper was in that, and Orson Welles set up an interview between Dennis Hopper and himself. Welles was off camera, he was directing it or photographing it, and it was 130 minutes of Dennis Hopper talking, and it was fascinating. And the other documentary, which was even longer, and I I did sleep in some of the films, and the longest one, which was the four-and-a-half-hour documentary by Frederick Wiseman, City Hall, and it was about Boston City Hall, Four and a half hours. He, he made a film about the National Gallery. His films are always very long, about prison and... It was absolutely a fact, and it, was a, it really gave a very good idea of the, the importance of, of the mayor and all the different services. It went to all sorts of diff, different aspects of, of County Hall, four and a half hours, no interval, and it was great. So um, the, other, the other one, Nocturno, uh, Giofranco Rossi, he was the man that made fire at sea, which was very much hand camera and everything, well, had to be with the, with the city. There were a few sort of not so hisses or something at the end of it, uh, But it was very, very much sort of very carefully framed everything, Um, and it was to do with refugees, and it was to do particularly was a very moving scene. But again, I felt it was so beautifully photographed of children who had experienced, you know, their their fathers and uh, families being killed and and butchered and various things, and drawings of of them and houses being built, and they were talking about them like that. And but it was so beautifully done. And I I don't know, I I, it's a strange kind of thing. I suppose I'm used to documentaries being, you know, sort of shaky cameras, but it's always set up for them to talk about. It's like an exhibition. Uh, that was called Nocturno. Very briefly... Um Other films that I saw, which I was particularly impressed in, there's an Indian film called The Disciple, which was about classical Indian music. It was about a chap learning from a a professional. There was a very shocking film called New Orders. I thought it was Argentinian, but it's Mexican, actually, which didn't have any sort of background to it. It just just started off with a wedding, a very upper-class wedding, and then suddenly there were people coming in, masked, shooting the guests and so forth. And it was all about a, a new order, obviously an attack on a certain class, And it was basically just that. There was sort of a massacre. I mean, it was quite shocking. There was a film called Pieces of Woman, a Canadian film, which started with a 20-minute... It said it was a single take. I don't believe that. But anyway of a birth sequence which went wrong a miscarriage and then it was to do with the problem of that and also the fact that should you take the midwife you know criminal she didn't hadn't done her job but it was a oh, it was a quite a sequence in, in, in fact and then there was a russian film called dear comrades by Andrei chondolovsky which was about a strike in communist russia in the 1962 and the way in which uh, they killed some of the strikers and that was done in black and white Academy Ratio. So, you know, that was, that was very interesting. And a film called Miss Marks, which was about, of course, the, the daughter of <laughs> the famous Marks. And it was very literary. I mean, there were one or two films that were very literary. There was an American film with Casey Affleck, which was set in a sort of Western town, and it was going to do with two women that actually had had an affair. The dialogue was done in a sort of really literary way and I'm not sure that the actors felt that comfortable with it and I found that a little bit the same with Miss Marks but they're both fascinating films the weirdest film I think I saw is Mosquito State which is about a, a character is well it's supposed to be a am not sure on na- that nationality Polish the director is Philip Jan Rymoza he was the one that finished The Other Side of the Wind the Orson Welles film it was about the chap that, that got Mosquito bite and it, became, and it obviously became almost sort of horror science fiction but he's sort of swelling so it was, it was about his psychological state he was actually a, I think he was a um, he had something to do with um, brokering or something, but it was it was a really weird film because slowly he became became sort of, <laughs> the swellings became bigger and bigger and nobody seemed to be taking much notice of his state. <laughs> that, that was that was the weirdest thing. So quite an eventful trip all round. Yes, yes, very enjoyable and extremely well organised. I take my hat off to the organisers
0: nearer to home we've got the French Festival yes so
3: talk about first, so that, that's right I think this is the fourth or the fifth time we've had the French Film Festival on tour and this, last year we had 20 films this year we've got nine plus Les Miserables which in fact was originally part of the tour last year but the distributors pulled it and it's now just been released so we've included it that's the only film I've seen I saw in Cannes nothing to do with the musical by the way it's a French cop film so just, just to mention some of them we're opening with Mama Weed is Isabelle Hubert's uh, latest film I think it opened in France in September where she's a sort of a, an undercover cop drug dealer basically That's <laughs> sounds quite quite interesting that's why it's called Mama Weed right? oh I see so I think she's a translator uh, originally for the police and that's how she gets involved in that uh, Gérard Depardieu stars in a film called Home Front which is about reflections on Depardieu and others who, who were called up during the Algerian War in 1960 it was an official selection of, at Cannes. All of them are new, by the way, I should mention. They're all previous premieres that have come from, from abroad, except one or two of them have been picked up by UK distributors. But there's one old one, which was, again, it's, it's still part of the festival and it is a, a, a classic film. We always have two or three classic films that they offer. And this one, I think, I haven't said it, it looks interesting. It's the first film that was made by Costa Carveris. It's called The Sleeping Car Murders. Right. And it's with um, the late, both of them, Yves Montan, and more recently, Michard Piccoli. So, and Simon Signore is, is in it as, as as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing that myself. And then we're closing with De Gaulle, which is uh, obviously a biopic about De Gaulle, set in the 1940s of Lambert Wilson as De Gaulle.
0: Lots to the 40 there. Yeah,
3: two shows of each one of those, so... Um, for those who are interested, you know, make sure that you get your tickets because uh, you are only going to about forty for each show. So, yeah,
0: great. Well, thank you very much, Roger. My pleasure. That was Roger Gibson, and next is part two of our investigations into private detectives in films. <laughs>
1: The second wave of gumshoe films, dating from the late 1960s and 70s and beyond, was a different take on the genre. Roman Polanski's Outstanding Chinatown, starring Jack Nicholson, joining Shaft. Who could forget the soundtrack of this 1971 film? The Long Goodbye, 1973, one of the best too, with Elliot Gould as Philip Marlowe at his softest, in contrast to Bogart's hard-boiled... And although, in my view, not as powerful as the earlier 1940s and 50s types, considered Donald Sutherland in Clute, 1971, who conveyed a more casual, sexy gravitas than their tortured predecessors. I didn't get him? No. Was it Grunman?
0: I didn't see him. Who sent you on that date?
1: Frankie Lagoran. You and I will go talk to Frank Lagurin tomorrow. Their co-stars, Faye Dunaway, Charlotte Rampling, Jane Fonda, are complex sex symbols rather than inscrutable femme fatale. And gumshoe, the film with the actual word as the title? Stephen Frears directed Albert Finney in this 1971 British version of the film noir. Eddie Ginley works at a bingo hall in Liverpool, but dreams of becoming a stylish private detective like those he has read about and seen in films. After placing an advertisement in a local paper announcing his detective series, a mysterious offer comes his way. The inexperienced and clueless Gumshoe slowly realizes that he is entangled in a serious case involving drugs, murder, and even his own family. I'm looking for Ginley.
0: Ginley the private investigator. Oh, I'm the comedian, the private investigator. what do you want
1: with him? I have a job for him. Oh, what kind of a job? private investigating kind of a job. An affectionately nostalgic and amusing tribute to the movie fiction private eye genre of yesteryear, Freer's postmodern dismantling of the American detective film revels in British locations and wonderfully earthy wordplay. You'll never look at a raincoat in the same way again. Here's looking at you. Eddie? There are rich gumshoe pickings in the USA during the 1960s and 70s, including Frank Sinatra as Tony Rome, 1967, and the follow-up, Lady in Cement, a year later. The far more memorable film, Shaft, 1971, was the big winner, including gaining an Oscar for the sensational music score by Isaac Hayes. John Shaft is the ultimate in suave black detectives and finds himself up against Bumpy, the leader of the black crime mob. He in turns up against the black national, and then Shaft works with both against the white mafia who are trying to blackmail Bumpy by kidnapping his daughter. Hello? Hello, baby. I waited up.
3: Sorry, I can't make it.
1: You got problems, baby?
3: <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of
0: them.
1: I was born black, and I was born poor. <sighs> I love you. Yeah, I know. Take it easy.
0: Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? You're damn right
1: There have been remakes, but none can touch the original The neo-noir films from the 1980s to the present day Came thick and fast Why discard a perfectly terrific, attractive type of entertainment? The Coen brothers always game for a clever resuscitation Directed Blood Simple, 1984 with a gloriously repellent performance by M. Emmett Walsh, who plays a private detective.
3: The world is full of complainers. The fact is, nothing comes with a guarantee. Now, I don't care if you're the Pope of Rome, President of the United States, or Man of the Year. Something can all go wrong. Go ahead, you know, complain, tell your problems to your neighbor, as for help, I'm watching him fly.
1: A revolting sleaze. One of the many highlights of this thriller, starring a young Francis McDormand, Angel Heart, 1987, Devil in a Blue Dress, 1995 joined in, too, as did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in 2005, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer in a tongue-in-cheek satire with entertaining action and spot-on performances in this dark, eclectic, neo-noir homage.
2: Harry, I was thinking some more about this reality versus fiction. Oh, is that a fact? Yeah, like in the movies, when a guy comes up and sticks a gun to some schmuck's back and says, uh, let's take a walk, all of a sudden he's got a hostage. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Well, in reality, the pros like about five feet of separation. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's So the schmuck doesn't take the gun back and make ah! it eat it. Ah! Doesn't that suck? I just hit you for no reason. I
3: don't even
1: know why. It? Now fast forward to 2014 to Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice set in the early 1970s. Private eye hero Doc Sportello, Joachim Phoenix, is permanently stoned. The keep-up storyline following his ex-girlfriend who enlists his help when her current billionaire land developer boyfriend discovers a plot by his ex-wife to kill that billionaire and throw him in a loony bin. Well, easy for her to say. Are you Shasta? Thinks he's hallucinating? No, just a new package I guess. I need your help, Doc.
2: Uh, You know I have an office now. That's like a day job and everything. I
1: looked at the phone book. I almost went over there. Then I thought better for everyone if this looks like a secret rendezvous. The Private Eye movie is just one of the great types of entertainment of the last century. And it isn't quite dead yet if recent releases, including Veronica Mars, actually featuring a female sleuth, and a walk among the two stones with Liam Neeson are anything to go by.
0: So you're a private detective, is that right? I'm licensed. What's
1: mean? It means that sometimes I do favors for people, and sometimes in return, they give me gifts. Gifts, uh uh-huh. But
0: you used to be a cop, right? Yeah. So why'd you quit? I didn't like the hours, Mr. Christo. Uh, the corruption got you, huh?
2: Not really. It would have been hard to support my family without it.
1: And who hasn't seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and marveled at the storytelling of this 2009 Swedish film based on a Stieg Larsson murder mystery series? There has never been a character quite like Lisbeth Salander, our amateur detective on a deadly mission. She's a computer hacker and teams up with Michael Blomqvist, an investigative journalist, to extract revenge and solve a 40-year-old mystery. Salander, unforgettably played by Noomi Rapace, is an intriguing, infuriating, unknowable, and ultimately sympathetic character, the film far, far superior to the American remake two years later. Why do they do it? Non-English-speaking filmmakers continued to enter this crowded field, too, with stolen kisses featuring François Truffaut's alter ego, Antoine Doinel, and the Belgian transfixed. Beau is a transsexual prostitute in Brussels who is infatuated with a neighbor and suspected by the police in a series of transsexual murders. In order to clear herself, she must turn detective. South Korea's private eye, a lurid mystery, unearths serial murder, drug racketeering, and sexual corruption by a deadbeat gumshoe, biting off far more than he can chew. This two-part summary focuses mainly on the true blue gumshoe film noir, but you could argue that Hercule Poirot should be head-counted as well as Charlie Chan, Mr. Moto, starring Peter Laurie of M fame, and the Maltese Falcon, the daring-do Bulldog Drummond, Miss Marple, Ellery Queen. And why not Mad C. Drew, the teenage sleuth too? Well, that's for another time, another place. I'm tired of making up lies, says the dangerous and distrustful dame, Bridget O'Shaughnessy, played by Mary Astor in the classic period showpiece, The Maltese Falcon, of not knowing what's a lie and what's the truth. Patrick's choice of 1960s gumshoe film noir is up next. Wallow in wise cracking gumshoes like Philip Marlowe, who describes a character in Farewell My Lovely. He looked as inconspicuous as a tarantula on a slice of angel food. Perfection.
2: is 1966. A private eye arrives in his Porsche Sportster at a pair of wrought-iron gates, follows a seemingly endless shrub-lined drive, at the end of which is a vast, kitsch mansion. The housekeeper takes him past the Olympic-sized swimming pool, where he pauses to admire the teenage daughter of the house. He is admitted to the private quarters of the queen of this realm, who has a job
1: for him. Mrs. Hanson? That's right. Lou Harper, Albert Graves' telephone said you needed me for something. Oh, a drink, Mr. Harper?
3: Not before lunch, thanks.
1: I thought you were a detective. New type. Oh. Albert Graves is one of our lawyers. It's on his recommendation I'm hiring you. It's about time he threw some business my way. Mm -hmm.
0: I've known Albert since he was D.A. up here. Mm
1: Oh, he said you were good at finding things. Uh, My husband's... uh, You're sitting on my robe. My husband's disappeared. Try missing persons? Well, that might mean publicity. Ralph loathes publicity. Besides, he's got an abnormal fear of the police. I simply want you to find him and tell me which female he's with.
2: The film is Harper, based on The Moving Target by Ross MacDonald under which title the film was released in the UK. Paul Newman is the eponymous Private Eye and Lauren Bacall is his client in an obvious allusion to The Big Sleep from 20 years earlier, which Sandy celebrated in the last episode. Harper is a key text in the history of Private Eye movies in that it both looks back to the classic noir period of the genre in the 1940s, and also instigated the neo-noir iteration of the genre which flourished in the late 60s and the 70s. According to David Thompson, Newman was a teenager aping Bogart, but that is unjust. It's an engaging performance, wisecracking yet honourable, cocky but rueful, with a less than respectful attitude towards the police. The film also helped to establish William Goldman as a screenwriter. He went on to write Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men and The Princess Bride through dialogue such as this mordant exchange between Newman and his friend, lawyer Albert Graves, played by Arthur Hill.
0: Huh? How does it feel to be popping your flash bulbs in dirty little motel rooms? Spying on the cheaters, hmm? Yeah. Well, things just don't turn out the way we plan them, do they? You were hired by a bitch to find scum. Yeah, and every time I hope it's going to be... Prince Charming sending me out to scout out Cinderella oh yeah boy I had a total of about eight pretty disgusting months last year then I had five or six good weeks let me tell you something I mean that's something that you and you won't understand and Susan sure as hell won't but it was five or six weeks
3: I really felt alive So all I can do, Albert, is just do the dirty job all the way down the line.
2: The weak link was perhaps the director, Jack Smite. His work here lacks the style of a Hawks or a Houston. A sequel based on MacDonald's second novel in the series, The Drowning Pool, was made nine years later with Stuart Rosenberg directing, Newman reprising his role, and this time co-starring with his wife Joanne Woodward and a very young Melanie Griffith. It is well worth a look, but a lot more downbeat than the original film.
0: Your daughter's in It's too late to talk to them Cos Tony Rome is out And about And Tony Rome will get If you don't watch out Tony Rome will
2: get if you Following close on the heels of Harper the following year came Tony Rome and that was Nancy Sinatra singing the title song. It starred her father Frank who had been first choice for the lead in Harper, as a Miami-based detective who lives on a powerboat, has a penchant for gambling, and offers a nice line in misogynist banter. Here, he gives the brush off to Jill St. John with his usual charm and delicacy.
1: Would you like to come up for a drink? No, forget it. It would make it too easy. You were for me. You're an interesting man, Tony Roe. But I suddenly realize I've been doing all the pursuing. Not healthy for my ego.
3: You can relax. You're just suffering from a case of the divorcee blues.
1: What's that?
3: It's kind of like a post-pregnancy depression. Neither last.
2: A sequel, Lady in Cement, this time pairing Sinatra with Raquel Welsh, was released the following year, both films helmed by Gordon Douglas, whose director signature was a crash zoom on a pair of bikini-clad buttocks.
4: Ooh,
0: little sister I don't know what you're thinking mm, little
2: sister down your mind. Another early example of neo-noir was Paul Bogart's Marlowe from 1969, based on Raymond Chandler's The Little Sister, starring James Garner in the title role, the first film adaptation of a Chandler novel since 1947's The of Dublin. Here, co-star Rita Marino finds Garner as Marlowe in Lugubrious Mood. Rough day at of the office.
1: About the same average day in a detective's life. I've been stabbed, snubbed, and generally snookered. I ache all over. My office qualifies for urban renewal. The cops envy my successes.
3: They're
1: trying to take my license away. I'd say that's an average day.
2: The film has its moments, but director Paul Bogart was more at home on the small screen, and Garner would also be much more successful as a private eye on TV, five years later as Jim Rockford in the long-running series The Rockford Files. Across the big pond, James Hill blended the private eye movie with the slasher movie in the extremely gory A Study in Terror, a Holmes pastiche filmed at Shepperton, starring John Neville and Donald Houston as Holmes and Watson. Overall, the late 60s saw a revival of the private eye movie, but it languished in the shadow of the spy movie until the 70s, which saw a reversal of fortune for the two genres, as Sandy will now explain.
0: The 1970s, along with the 1940s, were the heydays of the private detective in film. The productions tended to be either contemporary settings with characters harking back to the great days of the P.I. but carrying the baggage of the modern day, or set back in that era. Trying to choose a couple to focus on was hard. Of the offerings in contemporary settings, it could have been Shaft in 1971, with Richard Rowntree as a suave private eye in gritty New York City in an early black exploitation film. Or it could have been Clute, also 1971, with Donald Sutherland and Jane Fonda, directed by Alan J. Pakula. Fonda won an Oscar. Then there was Arthur Penn's Night Moves, 1975, with a suitably hard-boiled Gene Hackman as Harry Mosby. I think Harry would like
2: me to leave. Well, I don't think that's
0: necessary. I think Harry thinks it is. Harry thinks if you call him Harry one more time, he's going to make you eat that cat. In 1978, Richard Dreyfuss played a different type of P.I., with a broken marriage and often his kids in tow.
1: What are you doing here, anyway? An industrial investigator. He's a private eye. He really is, you know. A private eye.
0: There was Michael Winner's dreadful remake of The Big Sleep with Robert Mitchum updating to 1970s London. I don't think I've ever been so angry in a cinema. A complete absence of style, pacing and understanding served to highlight the greatness of the originals. To my mind there are two great films playing true homage to the golden age of private detectives. The first proves that Robert Mitchum could crack it in Dick Richards' remake of Raymond Chandler's Farewell, My Lovely, in 1975. Mitchum is too old to be Philip Marlowe, but it's easy to forgive that, as he carries the role with all the heft and flippancy required.
3: I was trying to stabilise below the belt when this guy the size of the Statue of Liberty walks up to me. What are you, a cop? No, I'm your fairy godmother. I started to walk away. Private Dick's, huh? When a hand I could have sat
2: in, took hold of my shoulder. What's your name?
4: Marlowe, what's yours? Moose
2: Marlowe.
0: Get
4: down!
2: He didn't bat an eye.
3: Fear wasn't built into his giant frame.
0: Charlotte Rampling knows how to play the femme fatale as well. The music that introduced our looks at the gumshoe genre was the theme from this film, demonstrating how lovingly it was put together. The two films I finally chose, however, are the second of the two marvellous nods to the old days, Chinatown, but first the one truly successful updating of a Raymond Chandler story, The Long Goodbye.
1: There's
3: a long goodbye. It happens every day. When the
0: early 1970s were a fruitful time for director Robert Altman. Mash, Brewster MacLeod and McCabe and Mrs. Miller were followed by images, and then, in 1973, the long goodbye. The stars are Elliot Gould, Sterling Hayden, Nina Van Pallant, and Los Angeles of the 1970s. It's very much set in the time it was made, but holds on to much of the Chandler esque feel. There are recurring motifs throughout the film, such as Marlowe constantly striking matches for a smoke on whatever surface is handy, and a repeating musical theme that mutates to suit the surroundings. Gould is a shambling, rumpled Marlowe living alone with a cat. In fact, the first ten minutes of the film is him trying to feed his cat, having run out of cat food.
1: Well, that cockamamie cat. <laughs> Mr. Marlowe? Oh, Mr. Marlowe. <sighs> Crazy girl. Mr. Marlowe, are you going by the store? Yeah, I'm going to go and pick up a couple of cans of cat food. Could you pick me up some brownie mix? I'd really like to make some brownie. I'll get you some brownie mix. Get two boxes. Two That's boxes. Fudge kind. Fudge kind and regular kind. Mr Marlowe, you're the nicest neighbour we ever had. got to be the nicest neighbour. I'm a private eye. It's okay with me.
0: Meanwhile, he's employed to find the husband of the character played by Van Pallant, the Nina of Nina and Frederick, if you remember them. Roger Wade, Sterling Hayden, is tracked down to a clinic where Dr. Veringer, a wonderfully sinister Henry Gibson, is attempting to get Wade to pay him. Note the striking of a match. Here's the pen. Here's the cheque. It's all made out for 4400 Excuse me, Mr. Wade, I don't think it's necessary for you to be forced to sign any cheque, especially under this kind you of pressure. You have no right to barge in here, I could... You ought to be ashamed. I know you could have me towed away, but why go to any trouble? Say, wait a minute. the hell are you? Well, I'm this here private investigator who was sent here this afternoon to uh, find you, but the good doctor here dummied up.
1: You were sent here to find me?
4: Why? Well, I'm supposed to bring you home if that's where you want to go.
0: Much of the dialogue is overlapping and seems improvised. If you don't catch it all, though, it doesn't seem to matter as the film grabs you and takes you along for the ride. Gould is a believable Philip Marlowe, but certainly not Humphrey Bogart or Dick Powell. They would have looked uncomfortably out of place in a 1970s setting. But all the Chandler elements are assembled here. Perhaps it's not surprising. The screenplay was by Lee Brackett, who was one of the team writing The Big Sleep in 1946. The strong link between Philip Marlowe in 1946 and his 1970s iteration is tangible. Chinatown is set in 1937. Roman Polanski directed a screenplay by Robert Towne, who has a long list of great films to his name, some that IMDB has as uncredited. The private investigator this time is JJ Gittes, Jake, with Jack Nicholson getting his teeth into the role. Gittes is probably not as clever as a Marlowe or a Spade, or as clever as he thinks he is. He's not a loner, employing a team to help him, mainly with divorce work. His suits are flashier, too. He becomes caught up in a suicide that might be a murder as a struggle goes on to control the provision of water to a parched L.A. suffering from a drought. Faye Dunaway is the femme fatale here.
1: I got your check in the mail. Yes. Mm -hmm. As I said, I was very grateful.
3: Uh, Mrs Mulray, I'm afraid that's not good enough.
1: How much would you like?
2: I'll stop it. The money's fine. It's generous. But, uh, I think you shortchanged sure me on the story.
1: I have?
0: I think so. Something else besides the death of your husband was bothering
2: you. You were upset, but not that upset.
1: Mr. Giddies, don't tell me how I feel.
4: Sorry.
0: The link back to the black and white gumshoe days here is through John Houston, playing Dunaway's father. He directed the 1941 version of the Maltese Falcon.
2: Do you remember the last time you saw Mulray?
3: Uh, my age you uh, tend to forget.
2: It was five days
3: ago, outside the pig and whistle, and you had one hell of an argument. <clears throat> I got the pictures in my office, if that'll help you remember. What was the argument about? My daughter.
0: What about her? Just find the girl. Mr. The film is totally satisfying with great performances and it will keep you guessing till the end. A sequel finally turned up in 1990, The Two Jakes, again written by Town and it starred Nicholson who also directed it. It didn't garner the critical acclaim of Chinatown, but I enjoyed it. Certainly, Jake Gittes was a very acceptable addition to the ranks of film gumshoes.
2: Well, nobody's perfect.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Let's hope it's a sign of things to come that we continue to have films to preview. We'll be back to mark your card for the November programme, plus a few other things, no doubt. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can contact us via walter at chichestercinema.org and please mark it podcast. Don't forget to let us know what you think of the cine circle too. Thanks for listening and until next month, it's goodbye from
1: Carol. Bye-bye for now.
0: And from Patrick. Goodbye. And from me, Sandy. Goodbye. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me, and I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Find us at ChichesterCinema.org.